welcome to the Justin Peters program, where we're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, studying to show ourselves approved, rightfully dividing the word of truth so that we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here's your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for joining me and my guest, Jim Osman. If you've been following the programs, you know that we have been talking about spiritual warfare. And Jim is a teaching elder. He's a pastor, my pastor, Kathy and my pastor, here at Kootenai Community Church in beautiful northern Idaho, about 60 miles south of the Canadian border, give or take a mile or two. Beautiful area of the country. and uh, But at any rate, we have been talking about spiritual warfare, and we've been uh, discussing it, some of the common misconceptions about it. Jim has written a book on the topic entitled Truth or Territory, A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare. So, Jim, welcome once again to the program. Thank you very much. All right, Jim. Last week we talked about this notion of uh, praying a hedge of thorns, uh, a hedge of protection, and just uh, give us a one or two minute or so synopsis of what we talked about last week. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the carnal weapons that are te- typically employed in the territory view of spiritual warfare, that, that we're to do hand-to-hand combat with demons, <clears throat> with Satan, by taking back territory that he, that he has that he has taken over. And uh, the very first carnal weapon that we looked at was praying hedge of thorns, which is uh, a, a complete... Abuse of Hosea two verse six and Job one eight through ten, um, where they mention hedge and they mention thorns, and out of those two words in those two passages is concocted this whole view that we um, can pray a hedge of protection or a hedge of thorns around people, places, and things to prohibit Satan's influence, uh, prohibit satanic attack, or hinder his power in some way. Okay. That's what we critiqued last time. Right. All right, this week, uh, the next uh, sacred cow we're going to slay (laughs) is uh, hexes, that of hexes. Now, my first memory or knowledge of of a hex was when I was a little boy. My dad and I would go out in the backyard, and I'd get down on my uh, knees, and and I had a little yellow bat with a wiffle ball, and he would throw the ball to me, and I would try to hit it with that little yellow plastic bat, and sometimes he would put a a hex on it right before he tossed it to me, which was supposed to make it harder to hit. And uh, so that's kind of my first memory of a hex. But um, we're dealing with something a a bit different in the spiritual warfare realm. Uh, Hexes, generational curses. Uh, Set this up for us a little bit, Jim. Tell tell us what it is that we're talking about and um, and where we're going with this, the the misconception of this. Well, it's taught among uh, modern spiritual warfare experts. And we're going to get into some of these guys and give you some quotes from here in just a moment that that uh, we give up territory to Satan and that he can gain a foothold, a a fortress, uh, get his claws, as it were, sunk deep into our family or a place or into a bloodline because of some sin or some activity that somebody has been involved with at some time in the past that has given him territory or or given him authority and access to a family or a house and so the the battle then is over taking back that territory 
according to these experts. And we do this by, we take back this territory by renouncing these curses, renouncing these hexes, by pleading the blood of Jesus over them, by, you'll hear them use terms and, and phrases like verbally canceling out the rights of Satan that he has over us. And, and so Satan gets the territory. We take it back by uttering certain phrases and, and formula prayers. And in these formula prayers of pleading the blood, um, pleading the blood of Jesus and renouncing these things and verbally renouncing them, canceling his legal rights, using this phraseology and these, and the, and these activities that we take back the territory. So then we can seize back the bloodline, seize back our family, take back a loved one, take back a house, a home, a, a house, a church, an institution, something like that. Right. It sounds more like a Harry Potter film than anything biblical. Yeah, it, it does. It yep. absolutely does. It's got far more in common with, with witchcraft and the occult right. than it does anything um, um, biblical. And It is a mystic, Gnostic, pagan worldview right. imported into Christianity and baptized with biblical jargon. Right. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've been sitting down watching TBN or Daystar, one of these Christian networks, quote-unquote Christian networks, and they talk about generational curses. There have been books. Uh, some of your popular Word of Faith preachers have written books, How to Break Generational Curses. If, you wanna, if you've got um, some, some um, uh, besetting sin in your life, it's because of a generational curse. Your granddad, your great-granddad, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddad <laughs> allowed some demon to come in, and this demon set up shop, set up territory, established a base, and this has been passed down from generation to generation. And if you want to have this generational curse, this hex broken, well, you need to send in this number of dollars, <laughs> yeah. sow your seed to reap a harvest and, and break this curse. And it, all right, so such where, nonsense would raise a lot more money for our facility than selling this book, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So the question is, of course, is is this biblical? Is this a biblical notion? If, if, if does it have any founding at all in Scripture? Where do they? What Scripture would they use? And let's talk about. Um, what it really means. Yeah. The, like the issue of praying hedge of thorns, uh, hedge of protection, thorns of protection, hedges of thorns, that stuff. This is based upon a phrase of a verse, and you got to go back into the Old Testament. Again, Exodus 20, verse 5 is the passage, and it says, You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So that's the phrase, the visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So they Generational it, curses. Generational curses. You can have a curse, an iniquity, or a sin, and, and they would say uh, a demon or a demonic influence can last generations, third and fourth generations of those who hate God. So if my great-grandfather was a God-hater, um, I could have a demon in my life because of what he did that has been passed on to my grandfather and then my father and now to me. Right. And and now if I don't renounce it or deal with it, I'm going to pass it on to my sons and my daughters. Okay. So that demon is there. He's gained that territory, as you say, set up shop. And, and now I have to somehow battle him in order to gain back that territory that had been given to him by my grandfather. And uh, this is supposed to be, I guess, this... this uh, Curse this hex is to be verbally renounced and repudiated before it's going to be uh, canceled. And, and the sad part about all this is that um, adopted children kind of get the brunt of the stick when it comes to their view of generational curses. Because you adopt a child, you might have no idea 
what his father, his grandfather, or his great grandfather did. What you're so bringing into your what you're bringing into your house. You adopt somebody, and let's say they're from Haiti. Right. Oh man, remember Pat Robertson his thing about Haiti and how the earthquake in Haiti was the result of yeah. witchcraft for generations gone by, and this was God visiting judgment upon them. Right. Yeah. So, right. So that you bring in a kid from Haiti. And you have no idea what demons you are now inviting into your home. Right. So now you've given them free reign. And and now if you start to have spiritual battles and things start to go south in your in your house, in your home, all of a sudden you lose your job or or something happens, tragic in your family, your wife gets sick, um, what caused that? And you start yeah, to look at askance. Yeah, you start to look askance at your adopted kid thinking, oh, right. about what demon did I just bring into my home by adopting this poor kid? And, Which makes that kid feel really good, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, and I'll give you a couple of quotes by some guys who teach this. Um, and we've mentioned in the past Mark Bubeck, Neil T. Anderson, Thomas White. I'll give you a quote from each of these guys, uh, just to give you an idea of, of what this teaching sounds like from their lips. Um, am I allowed to mention false teachers on your program, by the way? On this program, yeah. mentioning false teachers by name? Are you kidding? Can I call out no, names? No, you can't do that on I this know. program. <laughs> I thought it was one of those Christian programs where you can talk about false teachers without really talking about false I, I, teachers. I, I never okay. call out somebody by their name. Okay, Ooh. well... Um, there's a guy whose name sounds like... Uh, <laughs> like Mark Bubeck? Like Mark Bubeck, yeah. Okay. He wrote a book called The Adversary, and he offers in that book a prayer of renunciation and affirmation. Here's what he says, quote, As a child of God, purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ... And this, remember, this is, supposed to, this is a prayer that you're supposed to pray. This right. is this formula is prayer, prayer. Prescribed prayer for this very purpose of canceling these hexes. Quote, here's your prayer. As a child of God purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I here and now renounce and repudiate all the sins of my ancestors. As one who has been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, I cancel out all demonic working that has been passed on to me from my ancestors. As one who has been crucified with Jesus Christ and raised to walk in newness of life, I cancel every curse that may have been put upon me. I announce to Satan and all his forces that Christ became a curse for me when he hung on the cross. As one who has been crucified and raised with Christ and now sits with him in heavenly places, I renounce any and every way in which Satan may claim ownership of me. I declare myself to be eternally and completely signed over and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. All this I do in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. I mean, do you really think that we need to announce to Satan that these things are true, that all the forces of Christ, that Christ became a curse uh, for me when he hung on the cross? We don't need to announce that to Satan. But this is the prayer that Mark Bubick gives you. You've got to renounce it. You've got to rebuke it. You've got to re- revoke it. Right? Satan has gained the access, the territory. You have to undo that by praying a prayer like this. And you have to announce these things to the spiritual realm. Because in announcing these things to the spiritual realm, you're in some way pushing back the forces of darkness. And, and it almost reminds me, just as a little bit of a tangent here, Jesus made a proclamation of victory to the to the spirits in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't um, he didn't go to preach the gospel, give them a, a chance to repent or anything, but he made a proclamation of victory. He basically, went uh, to to uh, Hades, uh, the lake of fire, and he announced victory over them. And then he he immediately went into his his body, resurrected in his earthly body after the crucifixion. So and Bubik says we're supposed to do we're this. supposed to do that. Yeah, we're supposed to do this because we have authority in Christ. You heard it. In I, all this, I do in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. And, and we're going to get into in a later later program their view of our authority in Christ and how that has perverted every, their whole approach to spiritual warfare is based upon that. Neil T. I'll give you another example. Neil T. Anderson writes this in Released from Bondage. 
Quote, the last step to freedom is to renounce the sins of your ancestors and any curses which may have been placed on you. Familial, familiar spirits can be passed on from one generation to the next, if not renounced, and your new spiritual heritage in Christ is not proclaimed. You're not guilty for the sin of any ancestor, but because of their sin, Satan has gained access to your family. In addition, deceived people may try to curse you, or satanic groups may target you. End quote. So, as a starter there with that quote, anytime somebody says that there's more than one step to victory or to peace or whatever, you, right. you know that they're now, now just making stuff up. Yeah. That's just heresy. The last step to freedom, that's what he's got, is in his steps to freedom. You've been released from bondage, you have steps to freedom in Christ. Well, right. There's only one step there's to freedom. Step. Yeah, that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. When yeah. you know the truth, you've embraced the truth and been saved and regenerated by the truth of God. That is your one step to freedom. That's it. Uh, Neil T. Anderson has multiple steps to freedom and all these things that you've got to do. And, and there's it, not 12 steps, by the way. No, not 12, not 11 and a half. Not celebrate recovery, 12 steps. Nope. One step. One step. One step. And the last step to freedom, he says, is to renounce these sins. And so he says that though you're not guilty for the sin of your ancestors, because of their sin, Satan has gained access to your family. See, that's the territory language he has gained access so now your family which which is is viewed as territory now that family has been infiltrated by the enemy and he's got that territory how do you get that territory back well according to neil t anderson you have to renounce these you have to proclaim your new spiritual heritage you have to proclaim that so it's not enough to be saved regenerated, delivered, to know the truth, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to love God's Word, to obey Christ. None of that is enough. Now what you need to do is you need to proclaim this to the spiritual realm. So this is doing hand-to-hand combat with demons. We're pushing back the forces of darkness by announcing and proclaiming things which are canceling out curses. And again, more in common with a Harry Potter novel than anything you read in Scripture. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give you another one. The third quote? Yeah. Or do you have yeah. something you want to say about that? No, no, go ahead. The third quote from Thomas B. White in uh, his book, The Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. He writes this, quote, Those who have had experience with deliverance know that in some cases there are demonic powers that have worked within a family bloodline for many generations. This phenomenon is clinically documented. If sin occurs, especially sin related to idolatry or witchcraft, and it remains unresolved, the enemy has a legal right to access, sorry, to accuse and oppress. We observe a connection between genealogical sin and oppression in current generations, end quote. Now that, that quote right there is filled with unbiblical notions. Boy, it is. The, he says right at the very beginning, those who have had experience with deliverance, know that in some cases demonic powers work within family bloodline for many generations. So what is the basis of that theology? Experience. This is experience. That's, not, that's not what he's, scripture. No, and then he says, we know this from clinical, what does he say? The phenomenon is clinically documented. So what does clinically documented mean? Do we read this in scripture, that Paul teaches this, that Jesus mentions this? No. We know from experience this to be true, and then we have clinically documented that. That is extra-biblical insight into the reality of these things, and this is what these men are relying on. That's why we started with the sufficiency of Scripture in our second episode together. These men are looking at things that are outside of Scripture. Our experience tells us this. Our clinical trials tell us this. Our anecdotes and stories that we have tell us this. And so this is how we fight the spiritual battle. And how do we know that this is how we fight the spiritual battle? Because experience tells us this is how we should do it. Right. Right. Well, uh, 
so what what is there an irony in all this the, the irony of it is that these men like neil t anderson giving you a path to freedom but look at the the yoke of bondage that they put you under you you, you end up being in bondage to these superstitions and wondering i mean is it really free to lie in bed at night after a bad day at the office and things just have not gone your way and have to ask yourself and think to yourself is it because of some sin that my grandfather committed that this lady at work is giving me such a problem right so maybe the devil has gained access to my work environment because i'm there and he's gained access to me because of something my grandfather did so my grandfather was whatever blank sin and now satan has this access to me and now that's why i'm going through all of this and to lie awake at night wondering have i can't have i adequately canceled out the effects of the enemy in my home and in my life um and the, the whole, the whole, and that just leads to bondage. It's just a yoke of bondage, to live under that superstition constantly, um, to think that you are free because you have done all of these steps to freedom, when in reality, if we believe what Scripture has said, if I am in Jesus Christ, I'm free. Period. Right. Satan cannot touch me. Uh, these guys want to say that salvation is not enough. The gospel is not enough. Um, he, Thomas White says, quote, If sin occurs, especially sin related to idolatry or witchcraft, and it remains unresolved. When I got saved, what sin remains unresolved? That's salvation. There's this, no sin unresolved. This is an affront to the to the work of Christ. It's an affront to the atonement. It's an affront to the to the heart of the gospel. It's it is. It is. And there's no sin that is unresolved. Right. Not my sin. I'm not punished for that. There's not... See, according to these guys' views, you you can get saved and be regenerated and be a child of God and have no issues from your past dealt with. Everything now, everything from your past has to be dealt with because the cross wasn't enough. Right. So now you've got to renounce and rebuke and reprove and announce and proclaim all of these, all of these new things, and uh, in order to cancel out all of these curses that that now are, are still lingering because the cross didn't cancel them out. Right. Right. And, and once again, it goes back to the. If we just understood the text in its context, then all of a sudden we'd realize just how much nonsense it is that I've just read you from Anderson, Bubik, and White. Yeah, um, now, right, but, but the I mean, playing the devil's advocate, somebody reading Exodus 20, it does say, God says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. So, um, I mean, that's their that's their proof text. So, so walk us through this. Why does this not... Well, the, the very rest of the sentence, it's, it's interesting that those who promote that, do never, they never quote the rest of verse 5 and verse 6. They always stop with that, the, 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 the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations, and then there's an, uh, those who hate me, and then there's an ellipsis. Sometimes the ellipsis is after, the, after fourth generations. They don't even mention of those who hate me. And I'll look at the immediate context, and even the rest of the sentence would show just how ridiculous it is. The rest of the sentence is this. Well, let me read the whole, the, whole, the whole sentence in this context. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children for the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So that's the rest of the sentence. We're, we're not talking about... So, so there's a parallelism here. So we're not talking about two sentences disconnected from each other by a massive text or context. We're talking about one half of the sentence and the next half of the sentence. Why is it that they only quote the first half of the sentence? There's a parallelism going on between verse 5 and 6. In verse 5, it mentions visiting iniquity. In verse 6, showing loving kindness. And so these are contrasted, right? To, to punish or to visit the iniquity 
on one group to show loving kindness on another group. Verse 5, to the fourth generation. Verse 6, to thousands. So there's another contrast between fourth and thousands. To those who hate God, in verse 5, to those who keep his commandments, in verse 6. So there's, there's three parallelisms going on in the verse. And it is intended to contrast two things. Two groups of people, two approaches to God, or two relationships to God, and two responses of God to those two groups of people. The two groups of people are those who hate God and those who uh, love Him and keep His commandments. The two responses, or sorry, the two, the two responses of God to that is to visit iniquity and to show loving kindness. And then, of course, the two durations, which is to, sh- to do this to the fourth generation, that is visit iniquity on the fourth generation, and then show loving kindness to thousands. So that's the contrast. And, and that parallelism is something you see in other Old Testament passages. It was a common uh, Hebrew way of sort of contrasting two things. There's a couple other passages that sort of use the same approach of using a parallelism to contrast two things. Psalm 30, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You see the, the parallelism, the contrast? Right. Anger, moment. Favor, lifetime. Two different things, two different time spans. Deuteronomy 7, 9, and 10. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. But he repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And notice in there, you still have kind of the same parallelism, but no mention of visiting to the third and the fourth generation, but showing loving kindness to the thousandth generation. So what is Exodus 25 and 6 saying? God is saying, in the context of of the Ten Commandments, this covenant that God is making with the Ten Commandments of the nation of Israel, if you love me and serve me, I will bless you to a thousand generations. If you hate me and oppose me and do not obey my word, I will curse you to the third and the fourth generation. And all, all that parallelism is intended to do is to show that God would much rather bless than curse. Right. If you hate him, he, he will curse you and you will receive the, ble- the, 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 the punishments for your iniquity to the third and the fourth generation. This will continue on beyond just your lifespan. But God would much rather bless and show loving kindness and grace. To those who love him, he'll he'll do it to the thousandth generation. And so those who promote this idea of cursing and um, hexes, they... They make the assumption that the person being that the person being cursed because of the grandfather's sin, um, that they're. Let me put it this way: Why should they assume that the punishment in this passage is on a righteous person? The visit, the iniquity being visited on the third and the fourth generation. They make the assumption that that iniquity that is visited on that fourth generation is visited upon a righteous person. That's why they can say, "You can be saved." And still not know, still not have any of these sins unresolved. You're a righteous man whom God has cursed because of the sins of your father. That's not what the text says. That's not what the text says. We we would assume that that third and that fourth generation followed in the path of the previous generations, and that their sin was their the the curse of God continued on those generations because those children picked up and followed after the sins of their fathers and their grandfathers. Right. And so the curse rests not upon a righteous person, but upon iniquitous people who continue in the iniquity of their ancestors. Right. Two different groups of people here. Two different groups of people, yeah. And, and they don't even apply the standard consistently. Would they really say that God would bless to the thousandth generation the righteous man? So let's take their theology and, and apply it now to this passage. They say uh, somebody who sinned four generations ago, can that the sins and those demons and those curses can still be resting upon me, a righteous man, four generations later. 
because the text says he would visit the iniquity on the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. And by the way, the those who hate him is probably the third and fourth generation. The third and fourth generation hate him as well. That's right. why he's visiting the iniquity on them. He's right. punishing them for it. Right. But would they f- turn it around and follow the rest of the verse and say that if I, a righteous person, follow their instructions and renounce all these curses and bring down all these strongholds and free myself entirely, so I'm completely free, that God will bless me and my generations or my pos- posterity for a thousand generations, even in spite of their sin. If the righteous man can be cursed for the sin of his great-grandfather, because that's what the passage says, according to them. According to them. Will the sinner be blessed a thousand generations from now because of my righteous deeds? Right. See, they would never, they would never take it, which no. is why they never quote the second half of the verse, because it completely refutes. They can't apply their theology consistently through the entire verse. Right. There, there are so many verses where, where the entire theologies, entire doctrines have built, been built off of, of, of half a verse. Half a verse, a phrase. And they don't finish yeah. it. They don't, not only do they not give you the context, they don't even finish the, the, the <laughs> sentence. <laughs> right. You know, so. Right. And sometimes the second half of the sentence completely refutes the first half of the sentence. We saw exactly. that with the, the hedges and the hexes. Right. Or the hedges. We saw that with the hedges of thorns. You know, I'll hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her. But see, but this this misunderstanding of it, this this um, uh, poor teaching that is out there, this actually, as we said a moment ago, this keeps people in bondage. It, yeah. it keeps them. It is an affront to the gospel. It's an affront to the finished work of Christ on the cross. It keeps people in bondage, and it keeps money. Quite honestly, keeps money flowing into the pockets of the ones who are. Who sell the, the books? Error. Yeah. Who sell the books? Yeah. How, how will I know how to? How will? How would I ever know how to refute or renounce a curse if it weren't for Mark Bubick and Neil T. Anderson giving me the prayers? Right. You yeah, know, the, they, they the sell prayers aren't in the Bible. No, they sell books filled with these formula prayers for every occasion. They, right. they, Mark Bubick will offer you formula prayers for cleansing hotel rooms of demonic influence and all the sins that have been committed in hotel rooms. And we know there are lots of them that are committed in hotel rooms. Hotel rooms may need to be cleansed, but not necessarily from <laughs> no, <laughs> demon influence. Yeah, right. you, you don't want to bring a black light into a hotel room. No. Um, and in Exodus 20 has no mention of demons or evil spirits. Right. It is not even, in that context, the, the author, Moses, is not even describing demonic influence. He is describing the punishment that God would visit upon his people for their disobedience. Right. And conversely, the blessings that he would pour out upon his people for their obedience. Right. So it's not spiritual warfare. That's not the context. It's not a discussion on spiritual warfare or the effect of demons or the reality of these curses or anything of, the, of that nature. And, and then the other the other problem with this is there's a whole chapter, Ezekiel 18, which I would commend to your to your listeners to just read that chapter. That entire chapter refutes this this whole theology. It utterly turns it on its head. They had a proverb in Ezekiel's day that the father eats sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So you know what my dad eats affects me. That was kind of how the proverb went. And Ezekiel, in that whole chapter, God God refutes them, and he says, you, you are fools for thinking this. You think you are so wise, and you think you know the truth, and yet it's, it's you who are misled. And God says, would I punish a son for the sins of his father? No, each man will be punished for his own sins and his own iniquities. And then he gives an illustration saying, 
If a father does good deeds, or if a father does evil deeds and he does all this wickedness and violates my law, and he has born to him a righteous son who does good and loves mercy and does justice and walks humbly with me, will I curse that son for his father's sin? And in Ezekiel, God says, no, not at all. I will punish the father for his own sins and reward the sin for a son for his righteousness. Right. Now, if that same son is a righteous son who loves me and does my will and, and walks humbly with me, and he has a son who is who is wicked and does not obey me and, and follows after false gods, will I bless that son for the, the, the goodness of his father? No, not at all, but I will surely visit his iniquity upon him. Yeah. And there in Ezekiel, God is saying each person is punished for their own sins. We are each accountable for our right. own conduct. Right. Yeah. Instead of living under this yoke, then what did my grandfather do and what did my father do? And we're going to talk about this in, in um, some future episodes about... about uh, you know, needing to map out the the sins of your ancestors so that I know them. How can I know what? How can I know what demon influence um, is alive in my life today if I don't know what my grandfather did? Right. You see, so I, but I didn't. I didn't really know my great grandfather that well. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess. I guess I'm hosed then. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to live with some demonic influence that I'll never be able to renounce, you know, unless I say the right prayer. And so I got to spend my time researching and finding out, was it witchcraft? Right. Did he read his horoscope one day and now he's got a demon right. attached to him? Um, what a yoke of bondage and, and oh, fear absolutely. and superstition. And um, it's like living in Harry Potter's world. And conversely, this notion of generational curses and hexes, um, if you if you do have some besetting sin in your life, something that uh, that you have not repented of, well, that's, I can't help it. It's, it's yeah. a generational curse. Yeah, my grandfather and passed it on to me. me. Yep. You know, it's, it's not it's, my fault. It's a demon. It's not my fault. Yeah. And so what? that's going to handicap sanctification, which we're going to talk about later on. It handicaps your approach to sanctification because suddenly you don't confess your own sin and recognize that the sins that, that you're being plagued with are yours. Right. And suddenly you have an excuse, and what can you do about them? Right. Yeah. No need to mortify it, because I can't, I can't mortify this sin because it's yeah. a demon influence. Romans 8.13 is out the window. Right. Yeah. And, well. and there are a number of theological problems with this, um, and we've already touched on one of them. It denies the sufficiency of the cross and the atonement and the gospel. Just to read their words, uh, it, to read those quotes that I read earlier, you can't help but come to the conclusion that these men do not believe that the cross is enough to deliver us. from Satan. It's not enough. It's not sufficient. The cross is not sufficient. The gospel is not sufficient. The atonement is not sufficient. Um, And their whole theology is built on an insufficient view of Scripture. That These prayers that I read to you, they are nowhere to be found in Scripture. They offer prayers for cleansing curses on hotel rooms and apartments and houses and children. And and all of these things are, are completely absent in Scripture. They're not anywhere in there. And so then that leads us to the conclusion that these things are necessary for us to win the battle, but they're not provided by God in Scripture. Right. So that means Scripture is not sufficient. Right. And the gospel hasn't delivered me from all darkness. Yeah. It's just delivered me from... It's just made me savable, I guess, and now I've got to work out the rest of it with myself. Yeah. These are serious issues. These, this is not just the, the Frank Peretti stuff. I mean, the, the, the things that we're talking about now, they, they, they go back to the heart of the gospel. Yeah. To the to the work and to the personal work of Jesus Christ, the heart of the gospel, and, and so it's very serious matters yep. that we're dealing with here. Yeah, and and these things undermine uh, Christians who adopt this theology. It only serves to undermine their confidence in the gospel and in the truth, because now they're questioning, "Was I really delivered from it?" Right, and that's the last thing you should be questioning. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. 
Right. That, that, is, that is complete deliverance. And, and according to these men, we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of dusk. Yeah. And now we've yeah. got to... Now we've got to shine the light and push back the darkness and take back the territory. Yeah. Because no, that hasn't all been taken for us and accomplished for us at the cross. Right. Good way to put it. Not to mention that it's an insult to adopted children everywhere. It is. It really is. It is. And it's an insult to adopted children. That to think that you're, you know, your little boy or little girl that you adopted from Somalia or Ethiopia or Bangladesh or, you know, wherever, uh, has, has introduced some demon into to, to you and your family's life. Yeah. Some curse that now you and your natural-born children and your wife have to deal with. Right. Right. Oh, all right. Jim, good word again, brother. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I hope you're enjoying these series of programs, ladies and gentlemen, and, and I have an idea that you are uh, because this is, this is something that is that's very popular. There's so many misconceptions about spiritual warfare. I've heard it all my life. I'm sure that you have as well. Jim was um, uh, had had uh, personal experience with all these erroneous views, and uh, thankfully God in His providence has uh, used those experiences and, and uh, false notions to lead him to the point where he is today, where he is now writing a book entitled Truth or Territory, uh, a Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare. And again, Jim, the website where people can get the book is? Truthorterritory.com. Truthorterritory.com. If you'd like to hear Jim preach. Uh, by the way, uh, as we as we wrap up here, um, if you are wanting to hear some good preaching and teaching, and uh, maybe you do not have access, I know I get asked a lot of times from by people who are who just do not have a good, solid church anywhere near their area. If you're one of these folks, I've had people say, Justin, I, the, the best church I can find uh, is is 200 or so miles away. <laughs> if you if there, there are some people like that, unfortunately, in this country. But uh, if you find yourself in that situation, you go find to GraceToYou.com. Yeah, go to well, go to GraceToYou.com. <laughs> that's right. Or GTY.org, I think it is. Okay, that's better. GTY.org. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, uh, no matter how far you have to drive, you find a good church and you go there at least once a month. No matter how far it is, you go there at least once a month. You join yourself to that church. You get to know the pastor and the elders. And when you're not there, you you keep up. With uh, what they're what they're doing, as best you can, you know, in the weeks that you're not able to be there online, uh, but seek out some good preaching and teaching. And in addition to gty.org, I would commend to you the website of Kootenai Community Church, which is kootenaichurch.org. Kootenaichurch.org. K o o t e n a i church.org. All right. Thank you, dear ones. And until our next time. Oh, Jim, what are we looking at next week? Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about binding Satan and rebuking Satan. Fun stuff. Binding Satan. Boy, we've all heard about this one. So binding Satan and rebuking Satan. All right, dear ones, until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to the Justin Peters Program. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or would like to invite him to come and speak at your church or conference, contact him through his website, justinpeters.org. That's justinpeters.org.